Grab your Bibles. Acts chapter 2 paints a picture for us, gives us a picture of what the early Christians put their energy into. Um, what did they think was important? And what, what I love, you know, we love all the Bible, but the New Testament, you know, is a story from Jesus on, and so the Gospels tell his life, but then you have the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is just a history book of what happened in the early church. And so what's amazing about the book of Acts is we can look into it and we can see what did the early church engage in. We can look at what they valued so they can help us to see what we ought to value. Look at what they did to help us understand what we should do. Because here's the reality. There's a thousand good things we could do as a church, right? There's a thousand things we can engage our energies into. But the book of Acts shows us, okay, this is what those people who are the very beginning church you know, just having seen the death and resurrection of Jesus and the formation of this thing as this miraculous time, what were those things that they engaged in that then took them, made that little band of 12 become a movement that has become the largest religion on planet Earth today is Christianity. And so the things they did must have been pretty, pretty, um, pretty uh, you know, effective at spreading the gospel and helping people grow in Christ-likeness. So we get a snapshot of this as we look in Acts chapter 2 in all kinds of places, but one of the most succinct things that says what did they really engage in is Acts 2, verses 42 to 48. And uh, so let's actually start in verse 41 and read what happened, because what happens is there's all these people come to know Jesus. It says, So then those who had received the word, the word of God, were baptized. And there were that day added about 3,000 souls. So they had this you know, great group of people coming to know Jesus. Verse 42, they were continuous, what they did, that group, those 3,000 people, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So stop right there. For those people who want to say that in the church today there's nothing miraculous, well, read your Bible and see what it says, that this is the church, post-resurrection church, the era of the church we live in right now. And it says, many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We have a visual aid at Portview that helps us with those verses. We have a visual aid that we've used for a number of years. It's been morphed a little bit. But for a number of years, that helps us take the verse those verses that we just read, and see them in a way that we can dissect them and understand what did the early church do. Now, you're seeing them up there. What's this guy's name? Portview Pete, right? Portview Pete. And um, so we've had Portview Pete around in a couple different versions um, for, for many years. And this is simply, people say, what's this all about? This is simply Acts 2, 42 to 48, in a way that you can see and evaluate and, and remember and grasp and say, this is what the early church, so the, all the church, early Christians, this is what's important. This is what they, they valued. 
And what happens, Pete illustrates for us the five main things that we find in Acts chapter 2. And so what we did is we created Pete in order so that we could evaluate ourselves as individuals and ourselves as a church and say, how are we doing compared to what the early church did? You know, am I as an individual person engaging in these things that the early church engaged in? Do I value what they valued? And in, as Portview as a whole, how well are we doing? Doing the things that the early church did. So we look at this, it's broken into five parts. We call them the, the big five around here. These are the things that we have to be doing if we're going to do what God says his church is supposed to do. So what's at the top? Worship. And, and so it's worship. Worshiping God with our lives. And the text we just read says this. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread, which is reference to communion, to prayer and to praising God. That's all about worship. And we understand something about worship around here, that worship is a, a, life, a life thing that we do. It's not singing songs on Sunday morning. It is an expression of our life. Any way that we express the love of God back to him and into his world is worship. So it starts with worship. Then it goes down. Number two is reaching. Reaching what? Does it just mean like reaching for a ham sandwich after church on Sunday morning? No, it's reaching seekers, reaching after people who want to know more about Jesus. And the text that we just read says they added to their number daily those who were being saved. So reaching people for Jesus is one of the big five things we do. Then there's the other arm, connecting. Connecting with what? Connecting with what? Connecting authentically with people in God's family. It's connecting with one another because the text says this. They devoted themselves to fellowship. All the believers were together, and they ate together. That's what the, tech, the early church, three different sections in those couple verses, talk about how they were connected together in community. So one of the important things in the early church was community, was connectedness. The next thing, one of the legs, is grow or growing. And what are we growing in? Are we just growing taller? Or are we just growing bigger? Here's the thing in church. A lot of churches measure their success by how big are they becoming. Now, bigger is important as long as it represents people coming to know Jesus and growing in Christ's likeness. But that's not what it's talking about here. The growth that we're talking about here is our individual growth, our becoming more like Jesus, growing in Christ's likeness. We're becoming more like Jesus. And the text said in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we could also add things they did, communion and all the different things they did that went into their ability to grow in Christ's likeness. And then the last one, the last leg, serving. What's that all about? Serving with the love of Jesus. The text said, and they gave to anyone as he had need. And even one a step further says they not only that, they actually sold what they had to give to everyone who had need. So they self-sacrificed in order to help and serve one another. So the big five. You know, each year we take a few weeks to talk about these and to evaluate. How are we doing? It's our I love my church emphasis that we do every year. And we're basically saying this. We love our church enough to take the time to be better. To evaluate and get better. We love our church enough to say, are we doing what we should do and how can we get better? And we want to be honest and we want to know how we are doing we are are we you know are we growing in these areas are we blossoming or are we stuck and i want you to be able to look in the mirror 
and ask yourself these honest questions. Are you growing in these areas or are you stuck? Now, we found something as we've done these evaluations around here of ourselves and as our church that there's a proper starting point. The evaluation has to start at the right time, at right place for the evaluation to come to the right um, conclusions. And we found that we shouldn't start by evaluating simply what we do. That we should start by, inval- by evaluating who we are. Because we know that what we do is supposed to flow from who we are. And that's why Pete has a heart. So this is Pete 2.0. Pete the original version didn't have a heart. And so it's hard to live without a heart, but Pete didn't have a heart. We had to add the heart to say that is where it starts. That's why he has a heart. You know, we know that, it's, that it is possible, and you guys all know this, it is possible to do all kinds of religious activities and have a cold or even a dead heart. And many of you did it for years, and I did for years all kinds of religious activity, but have a heart that's never been transformed by Jesus, having a cold and a dead heart. Matter of fact, there are billions of people on planet Earth today, this week, that are serving gods that are false gods with great devotion, but they don't have hearts that have been brought to life by the Spirit of God. And that's sad, but it's true. So we, as we do an evaluation, we want to start with our heart. How are our hearts toward God? And maybe a, a better way to think of it, not a better way, but another way that might make more sense is we could say, how is your soul? How is your soul doing? Have you really given your soul over to Jesus? And is, your, is, is, is the core of your life connected to Christ? And if it is, are you in a spiritually good place? See, it's possible that you can say, I gave my life to Christ, but you're really in a spiritually bad place. We've all been there at times. And so we start the evaluation with our heart. Am I in a good place? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, when he would, um, and he started this, and then he had his, his elders who did this, other ministers, when he, he met with his pastors every single year. And you know what the, the primary question? He asked them one question. He never asked them, how many churches are you preaching at? He never asked them, how big is the congregations you're at? You know what he asked them? How is your soul? Because he knew if I started with the heart, the rest of it would take place. So that's a question we evaluate ourselves. How is your soul? And friends, that's what we talked about last Sunday. We did this, I love my church emphasis. Um, we used to take a few weeks, this year just two weeks. Last week was the beginning of it. And we really were talking about it. How's our soul or how's our heart? We start with our heart. And we know our hearts, if our hearts are healthy, and the way we know they're healthy, is when our hearts love what Jesus, what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? People. When our hearts love what Jesus loves, and that that love compels us into action, because remember, we're going to go from the heart to these five things that are all about action, that if our heart is right, our heart loves what Jesus loves, we will be compelled to action. I just say this, if you missed that sermon last week, go on the podcast on our website, portviewchurch.com, and listen to it, because these two parts have to go together. So from hearts, then, that have been brought to life by the Spirit of God, and we do that evaluation, we want to then engage in what's most important for the people of God. These five things that are the most important for the people of God. So today, I want us to do something. I want us to be honest, and I want us to be risky. Being honest 
is risky because we don't always like what we see. But here's what we do. We do this in business all the time. We do it in other things all the time. But do we really do it with our spiritual lives? And isn't our spiritual life the most important thing? And if that's not right, then none of the rest matters. So let's be risky by being honest, and let's do a little evaluation of how we're doing in these areas. So I was really risky today, and I gave you a piece of paper. Everybody get one of these when they walked in? If you didn't, you can raise your hand and the usher will give them to you. So when you walked in, you got one of these. And we're going to take a couple of minutes. I mean, just a few minutes. And we're going to look at this. I'm just going to talk through them. And this is going to serve for us to say, let me be honest with me. And let the Holy Spirit help me be honest with me. I think we need some way down front here. Them worship people get here so early, they didn't get what the uh, Suzanne Slack and they didn't get what was handed out when people came in. So you got it, everybody? So take a pen. And let's be honest. We're going to go through this, this, this thing. So the first thing, worship, and let me explain them all a little bit. Worshiping God with my life. This is not talking about, I come to church and I really like worship service. Worship is any way that we express love back to God. So um, work is worship if you use it as a way to express it back to God. You can have the worst job in the world, the hardest job in the world. You can, you know, you can dig ditches and, and whatever, be out in freezing cold weather, all this stuff, and somebody could say that's terrible, but you could say, I, don't want to, I would never want to do the job, but you could say, you know what, this is how I worship God. Because it's an expression of love back to God. You said, God, you gave me skills, you gave me abilities. And you really approach your life that way. Instead of grumble, 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 you know, and all you wait for is retirement, which is a fallacy, that somehow you're going to have golden years. Understand, friends, life doesn't get more golden as you get older. It really doesn't. And so this idea of everything I do, that do, do I worship with my giving? Do I worship with my time? And so look at yourself and say, in rating my, this is your, no one else is going to look at these numbers. These are for you. Where would you, what number would you circle? One being, I got it, you know, I, I, it's, nothing's happening. And tens, you know, I'm just like Jesus. You know, I'm worshiping God with all my life. Where would you rate yourself? Put a number on there. Circle a number on how we think it is that you're worshiping God with your life. Your life expression is an expression of worship. Remember, no one else is looking at this. You can even fold it in half and secretly do it however you want to do it. Number two, connecting authentically with people in God's family. Now listen, listen this, has a, this has a little nuance to it that comes out of Acts 2. It comes out of Port View Pete. So what, this, what we have with Pete is we actually have a, a whole sheet that explains all of these also. That, that, we, that we use as an evaluation tool. And in that it says, connecting authentically with people in God's family. This is talking about your relationship to the church world. Your relationship to the church world. See, what's really interesting is, when it talked about all the things they did in Acts 2, 42 to 40, 48, it was all connected to the people in the family of God. Now, there's going to be a place for connecting with people outside the family, but this is saying, am I getting connected with the family of God? Because guess, guess why that's important. Number one, we love each other, we support each other, we help each other, but also um, we encourage each other. And the scripture says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We help each other get better. And so how are you doing 
and you're connecting with people in God's family. Some of you go, oh, no, but see, I'm an introvert. Sorry, doesn't work. It didn't say all, only the extroverts connected authentically. Uh, matter of fact, introverts need to connect just as much, maybe more, especially for the sake of the other introverts. So how are you doing? Connecting authentically with people in God's family. Number three, reaching seekers. Now again, this has some nuances to it. It's reaching, doing your best, and we're going we're to talk about this one at the end of this the most. Matter of fact, it's the only one we're going to talk about for the rest of the sermon. Reaching seekers. It's reaching, doing your best to reach people that have a hunger to know more about God. Um, now we don't know who the, if somebody has a hunger or not. But it's saying, I understand one of the reasons, one of the big five reasons I live is to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. And you know what should compel us to do that? Well, our heart should compel us to do it because people matter to God. But what should, matter, what should compel us to do it is the fact that no one time somebody had to reach me. If no one would have had any energy put into reaching me, I wouldn't know Jesus today. And so how are we doing in this idea of reaching seekers? I'll put it this way, of you putting energy into trying to reach seekers. How are you doing with that? Putting energy into trying to reach seekers. Next one, growing in Christ-likeness. This is our whole process we talk about here all the time. And you can grow outside of here too, but the idea of the triangle of change. Okay, I'm going to test you because about a hundred of you have gone through the three books that talk specifically with the triangle of change. And so tell me what's at the peak of the point, point of triangle of change. Narratives. What you believe about God. So you address the narrat- your narratives. What's over here on, on, on so my left side? What's the next thing we need to address to grow in Christ's likeness? Spiritual exercises. We need to engage in things that give us an available heart for God. We need to say, God, I need to open up my life to you. I can, I can say I'm going to change. I can have all the knowledge in the world, but if I'm not doing things that are opening up my heart to the Holy Spirit so he can do activity in my life, I'll never grow. Then the other part is over here what? Community. I need to do it with a group of people who are going the same direction. That's why we break you into small groups and go through the material together. We challenge each other and encourage each other, hold each other accountable, and, and help each other. And then what's in the center of it? The power of the Holy Spirit. We're saying we, it's only about transformation. It's only about the Holy Spirit. And if we engage in this process, we know that development in Christ's likeness happens indirectly. That we, I, I, all of a sudden I look in the mirror and I go, wow, I'm a different person than I was before. I'm becoming more like Jesus. So are you actively engaging in the process of trying to grow in Christ's likeness? And then the last one, serving passionately with the love of Jesus. The way we try to define this around here in relationship to the church, because you can serve outside the church and that's awesome. But if we look in here, so we do need to serve outside there because one of the ways that we're going to reach seekers is by serving in situations outside the church. But this context in Acts 2 is talking about serving within the church. They served one another. They helped one another. They served one another. And ask yourself this, you know, Are you serving in capacities in relationship to the local church? Is this church a better place because you give your effort and energy to it? You found your fit. The way you try to find it, the little tagline we have for that one is find your fit. All of us are different. 
There's things that you could do that I can't do. You could do really well that I'm really poor at. You do not want me up here leading worship. This is the honest God truth today. We're singing one of the songs that I'm bellering out today. And I actually thought, because last time I closed my eyes and I found myself turned sideways a little bit. And I was singing right at Miranda. And I thought, this is a thought in my mind. Oh, no. I, I'm, I'm ruining her worship experience right now because I'm just bellering the song out right at her. So I don't know if you noticed at all. I actually thought Miranda's going, wow, Dad can't sing very well. So I'm not sure if you thought that, but that literally crossed my mind during worship day. So I turned a little bit. So I'm singing at the worship team. And so trying to not get them off key. But here's the deal. You do things I can't do. And the reality is, you know what people say sometimes? They'll say to me, now, you're not going to do this anymore now, but I want you to. They'll say, Pastor, the church ought to do something about such and such. And I always respond this way. I agree. What's God asking you to do? Because here's the deal. There is, we got this thing, that's a nebulous thing called the church. There is nothing called the church except for us. The church isn't some organization that has offices and that we just, there's this magical ability to say, the church ought to do something. So, for instance, we've had two funerals that our church has been engaged in the last couple of weeks. Guess what? Um, the one that was here on Friday night for Lark Sand. A bunch of people had to bring food for it. It was really small, and so we have a coordinator in the church who does that, called that coordinator, volunteer coordinator up. She called other volunteer people who made meals, and they brought them here so that we had food after church. Guess what? The church didn't do it. You did it. And so there is no pork view without us doing stuff. And so if we really say the church is the most important organization in the world, which we talked about last week, which it is according to Scripture, then we have to find our fit. And we have to serve in some capacity. Now, there's seasons in your life, when you're a newer believer, you know what a big part of this being part of it is? Just growing and learning. You're still going to find your fit. You can serve in some ways. But you know what? You need to be plugged into classes. You need to grow. You need to learn. But there's a point where, like, that's why we have an end, end game. Our three-year faith path journey... Ben says, get in a connect group, and yeah, we still have classes offered, but the idea is, you've been learning for three whole years, now do something with what you have. There's all kinds of places to serve in many different ways. And so, let's look at this. Serving passionately with the love of Jesus. Remember, serving your church. How are you doing? Let me ask you a question. And I'll, I'll expand on this in a second. Do you like what you see? Do you see some areas that you would like to grow in? I do. I would love to say I have all tens. I have some down in the middle. What you normally do in these is you remove five, because then you have to swing one way or the other. You can't say I'm right in the middle. You can't use five or six normally, but I've got some, I got one of them that's down, that's down pretty low. How about doing this? You could do it now, or you could do it today sometime. How about looking at this honestly and write down at the bottom of this page where you would like to grow? Make it a prayer. Write a short prayer. I know there's only two little lines there, but you can write there and write beyond it, right on the back if you want. A prayer, and here's what you're doing in the prayer. You're inviting the Lord's strength and wisdom into your situation and saying, God, I see and honestly this is an area that the, that the church is, and you show the church is important in, in the function of Christianity. And as a part of that, Lord, these five things are important to me. 
And if I see areas that I'm not that I'm not happy with where I'm at, I surrender it to you and I say, God, now help me. Help me get better in this area. See, I want you to remember something whenever you do an evaluation. Evaluations are for improvement, not for condemnation. And evalu- that's why I said it's risky to do this. Evaluations are for improvement, not for condemnation. The Lord isn't condemning you. He's inviting you into a life of growth and development. And He wants the best for you. He wants to help you get better. So one of the ways he has to, he can do that is to open up our eyes to some of the truths about myself as an individual and us as a church. So here's the deal. If you're feeling condemned when you go through this, maybe you put ones on every one. I don't know. If you're feeling condemned right now, that's not from God. That's absolutely not from God. I really felt the Lord saying, you better add this if you're going to do an evaluation. That that's not from God. When condemning thoughts come into your mind, those things that say, see, I knew you were no good. You're right. You're a loser. Yep, you're a failure. Oh, you're not as good as everybody else. Those are always from the enemy. They're from Satan. And here's what I want you to do with those thoughts right now. Dismiss them. Literally, think about the thought and say, that's a lie. And dismiss it. Renounce those thoughts. And here's what you do. Tell the devil he's a liar and the father of lies, as the scripture describes him, and that your heavenly father loves you unconditionally and wants the best for you. And guess what, friends? You know what's best for you? Growth and development is the best for you. What's best for you is being a healthy version of Fort View Pete. That make sense? Now, as I look at these five things pertaining to Portview as a whole. Which, let's remember, all of us functioning together make up Portview. So my evaluation is, how are we doing in these areas corporately? Um, as I look at these, as these five areas, worshiping, connecting, growing, serving, stuff, you know what, I think we're doing pretty well. I give us a pretty good grade as corporate Portview. But I think... If I'm honest and I'm risky, Pete helps me see one pretty big weakness. You know what I think it is? We got a very flabby right arm. I think we have a very flabby right arm, uh, which is reaching seekers. In 2017, corporately at Portview Church, there were not a lot of people who came to know Jesus here directly through the ministry of the church. Some did, and I rejoice that we baptized 13 people, but not all those 13 people came to Christ in this, in this calendar year. And so people responded to altar calls. Um, some people did, and maybe you're here today, and I hope there is. I hope there's people here today that you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord in 2017. But I don't think our right arm is what it should be. Now, I know there are, this is a reality, I know there's thousands of people in close proximity to this church, thousands of people in close proximity to your homes that don't yet know Jesus. And if they were to enter into eternity today, and you know what, I was talking to somebody this morning walking in the door, and the conversation swung the conversation Suzanne and I had recently. Um, and we're talking about reading obituaries in the paper. And Suzanne, who reads obituaries all the time, I just usually turn that page, I look, I see if picture and I turn it. There's no one I know. Notice that recently there's been this rash of young people dying 
I mean, young meaning the 50s, stuff like that. And we're talking about that this morning. Um, that happened in the two funerals that we have been involved in in the last seven days um, were both very young people. I mean, young, they were way, way too young to die, we would think. Our community is surrounded with, we're surrounded by people like that. That if they were to enter eternity today, they would be lost and without Jesus. And you know what's interesting, especially they tell me that millennials, those true millennials, one of the things that I hate, you're shaking your heads. Millennials get the worst rap in the world. Matter of fact, just total sidebar, if you find yourself criticizing millennials, you made them. So knock it off. And all the millennials are clapping. My kids go everywhere they do, and they come back, and they, all they hear is, one of my kids is around a, was around a Christian ladies group meeting in one of our local, local coffee shops, and they were all talking about how rotten millennials are. And he said, listen, to me, he goes, not one person would ever want to know anything about Jesus because of those ladies. And it was none of you. Now, he's, no one would want to know Jesus. We made the millennials, for Pete's sakes. If you're going to complain about them, it's your fault. It's my fault. And so I think the millennials are great. Um, I do. But here's the deal. What they tell us is really important to millennials is justice issues. That, that there's different ways, different generations look, and justice is really important. That it's, it's something's just and fair. And that's why, that's why the rise of things like being not segregating or not, not going after certain groups. You know, and they, they, I think it's, they take as a whole to unbiblical places, but it's idea of justice. Friends, your lost friends and neighbors is a justice issue. If they don't know Jesus... It's unjust. I believe that our right arm ought to be a whole lot stronger because it's a justice if issue. But let's be honest about this one. Matter of fact, one of the people who came and asked for prayer this morning, you know what their prayer was? Crying. All my, most of my, my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my nieces and my nephews, they're all lost and going to hell. They don't know Jesus. Let's be honest about something with this. We prayed about that. But let's be honest. It's a lot easier to say, let's do something about it, than doing it. We can't just go to the YMCA, lift some weights. That's where our analogy loses, our, loses thing. We can say, it's a body. Oh, how do I strengthen the right arm? I'll just go lift some weights at the YMCA and my right arm will get stronger and suddenly people will get saved. It's not that easy. Reaching seekers, in my opinion, is the toughest of the five because it has more moving parts. You see, I can choose to live a life of worship, and I can choose to serve others, and I can choose to connect with others, but I cannot choose for someone else to respond to the call of God on their life for salvation. I can't make it happen. And a mistake we make is we try to force people into it a lot of times, but I can't make it it happen. Yet here's the reality. We do play a vital part in the process. And a vital, and I'd say this, and an essential, absolutely necessary part in the process. In fact, people will not come to know Christ as Lord and Savior if we are not involved in the way that God intends for us to be involved. And I want us to look at a a story in Scripture from the book of Acts, the early church, that helps us to see this really clearly. So take your Bible, you've still got to open to Acts chapter 2, flip to Acts chapter 8. We're going to read an amazing story. 
going to be kind of a long story. We're going to read an amazing story. If you say Christianity is boring, if you raise your kids, we dealt with this Wednesday night in class, if your kids look at you and don't want anything to do with Jesus because they say Christianity is boring, it's because we don't understand what God really wants for us, especially in relationship to reaching lost people. Because reaching lost people is risky, scary, and the opposite of boring. So look at Acts chapter 8 with me, starting in verse 25. It so when it says, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, let's actually go to verse 26. No, let's do 25. So when they solemnly testified, making sure I'm on the right verse here, um, word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. I mean, you're talking about Star Trek here. Snatched Philip away. But the eunuch no longer saw him. But he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Aztus. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now look at this story. There's basically three moving parts to the story. Three players in the story. Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Holy Spirit, or God. Now look, look in the story. The Holy Spirit was obviously doing his part. How do we know that? Because the Ethiopian was curious about the Scriptures. Scripture tells us that only happens because of the Spirit at work in somebody. Um, the, that this, the Holy Spirit was speaking through the Scriptures to him. The Holy Spirit was instructing an angel to talk to Philip. And the Holy Spirit instructed Philip where to go and what to do in the process. So the Holy Spirit was doing his job. Let's look at the Ethiopian. 
He's a seeker. We're reaching seekers. He's a seeker. He does the Ethiopian is his part. He's searching the scriptures, trying to find answers. If you seek me, you'll find me, the scriptures say. He's looking for answers. He had gone to worship in Jerusalem, so he put energy in trying to say, I'm trying to find answers. I'm trying to find what's true. He invited Philip to explain about Jesus. said, come on, stranger, I don't know who you are. You might be a crook, but come on, get in my, get in my chariot. Tell me what's going on here. And then he responded to the Spirit's invitation to receive Christ. He goes, look, water! What prevents me from getting baptized? I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I want to, I want to have him as my Lord and Savior. Then what else do we see? We see Philip doing his part. He was willing, look at, listen, because Philip's our counterpart. He was willing to put his life aside to tell someone about Jesus. It took his time, it took his effort, it took his energy. He obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit. That prompting that came and said, go do this. Then he probably said, remember, these are real people. He's like, that's nuts, I guarantee you. He tells the guy next to him, George, hey George, I think God wants me to go to a desert road. He's like, you're crazy. No, I think I'm supposed to go. A prompting of the Holy Spirit. He obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He explained about Jesus when he was prompted. It said he took that verse, so he had to know the Bible. He took that verse, and the, the scripture, the Old Testament scriptures, the rest of the Bible wasn't written yet, and he explained to him all about Jesus, starting from that verse. And then what's he do? He, he baptized them when he said, I wanted to get saved. Think about this. What would have happened if any one of those three would have refused to do their part? What if any one of them was too busy with their own agenda... What if any one of those three thought that their part was unimportant? They just thought their part was unimportant, so I'm not going to be engaged. Everything else in the world is more important, but this really isn't that important. Well, here's what I believe. The Ethiopian probably would not have been saved. And, and friends, look at this. And Philip would have missed the blessing of being part of God's eternal work and of seeking and saving the lost. Philip, and he would have missed out on the greatest Star Trek ride that anybody ever had in the world. He would have missed the miraculous. You say your life is boring? If you're living for retirement, you think somehow there's some golden years and just sitting by a lake is going to make you happy? It won't. Living in the miraculous will make you happy. You don't have to wait for that. It's now. But you've got to engage the process. He engaged the process. He put all things aside and said, I want to be involved in what God wants to be involved in. I want those things are important. He engaged in the process. And look what Philip got out of it. The eunuch got saved, but he got to be transported. He got to say, I actually heard the voice of God. All those blessings of saying, my life matters. The things that we seek for in all different areas, trying to escape our normal reality to find some pleasure, all those things are find and found in walking with the Lord, in the excitement of being engaged in His ministry. And you don't have to be a pastor for that. I always tell people, the, the biggest hindrance you'll ever have to being involved in that kind of life is being a minister. Because I spent all my life running this place. You get to be out where this stuff happens every day. It's an adventure that you can be on. Think what Think what Philip would have missed if he didn't engage the process. Now, here's what I know about this story as I, as I compare it to us. I put it into our situation, our context. I know this. 
the Holy Spirit is always doing his part. He did his part there. He's always doing his part. He is always drawing people to Jesus. It's happening all around right now, everywhere on planet Earth. The Holy Spirit is stirring people's hearts. He's making them discontented. He's convicting them of sin. So they say something's wrong. There must be something more to life. And they're trying to fill it in all the wrong ways because they don't know the right way. But he's doing his job right now. And he is inviting us to get involved. That's his part. Part of his part is me talking to you. Doing my absolute best to compel us to get involved. He is making us aware of lost people all around us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So he's doing his part. That's that, that, that character. What about the, 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 the people around us who don't know Jesus yet? You know what? What's their part? They need to be a seeker. There's people all over who go to bed at night and say, God, if you're really real, make yourself known to me. They don't know what, the, what that looks like, but they're all over the place. And we have no control over their reaction. And so we leave them with the Lord. But then that leaves us with the last moving part, and that's us. And here's what I know. We do have control over what we do. We can learn from Philip in order to become like Philip and experience the joy and the blessing and the miraculous that Philip experienced. How? We need to be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When, a, when, when the Holy Spirit brings to your mind that person, you're sitting there out of clear blue, and all of a sudden, boom, that person comes into your mind. And you have this thought. I ought to call so-and-so. In our Wednesday night class, we just had somebody share um, last week. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's prompting, and they said, out of the clear blue, I just had this idea I should call this person. It was a relative. And they called the relative, and the relative was crying when they called them. They said, how did you know to call me now? Well, I didn't. I just felt, and here's the deal. When that prompting comes, you can choose to say no. And I would say this. We are trained, we've trained ourselves to say no more than to say yes. I was at a pastor's um, thing I went to two different weeks over, over a period of time with, with Jack Hayford. You know who Jack Hayford is? I think the, the apostle, there's an apostle of modern day, he's it. And um, he taught a class called the School of Pastoral Nurture. And it took 30 people and you spent 12 hours a day with Jack Hayford for one week. And so I applied and I, I got in. So I got to spend, I got to eat in Jack Hayford's house. You know, out in Van Nuys, California. This was a couple years ago. And... I was asking him about this topic. Because he just seems, he's just like, he's always like, oh, the Lord told me this. And, and then it works. I said, what's that all about? And he goes, Mark, those, those thoughts that come into your head, where do you think they come from? So you think, I've kind of just talked about, oh, it's just me. He's like, you're not concerned about lost people. You're not concerned about those things if, in, your, in your personal nature. In in, in and the enemy surely doesn't want you to think. He goes, it's the Spirit of God. Start responding. So I made myself a deal when he, sh- when he sh- told me that. Every time I felt a prompting, I would act on it. And it's been years now. Almost everything miraculous and spiritually positive that's happened in my life has been tied to obeying those promptings. Almost 100%. Because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. 
The Holy Spirit, the Bible, Jesus said, you're better off if, the, if he goes to heaven because then the Father would send another comfort of the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't just be with you, he'd be in you. He lives inside of you. Understand the reality of that? God lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's speaking to you. Those promptings that say, do this and don't do that, that's the Holy Spirit. We have to listen. As we listen, then we're amazed. We go, the person in our class on Wednesday night said, it was just like this reality. Like, you, go, you, you say this, the creator of the universe talked to me. You might get all jacked up if some famous person talked to you. God is talking to us. We get to choose whether we're going to listen or not. How amazing we can do that. So we need to be like Philip. We need to listen for the voice of the Spirit. Next thing we need to do, we need to be willing to take the risk of engaging a conversation. You know, of, of, you, you say the Spirit prompts you and you're in a situation, there's a time where you're going to, to, you're going to, to say something. And he can't tell you something, but the, the last thing you should say, and this is usually the first thing you say. Oh, you ought to come to my church, it's awesome. You go, really? You're telling me not to invite people to church? No, I'm saying in every one of those conversations, invite the person to church. I think we're supposed to go to highways and byways and compel them to come in. But you're not trying to advertise the church. You're talking about Jesus. They got, there's enough churches out there. They need Jesus. Tell somebody what Jesus has done in your life. Which means you need to take that evaluation sheet out and turn it over and say, ask that question. What's Jesus done in my life? That's what you share with somebody. And then you go, and you know where I'm growing in Christ-likeness, and we're with a whole bunch of people who are all trying to figure this out too, and we don't have all the answers. As a matter of fact, we have more questions than answers, but you can come and grow and join with us, and they're really fun, and there's also good worship, and it's all great. Come to my church. It's great. Because this is where it happens for us. But take the risk of starting a conversation. Now, don't be pushy and preachy and all that stuff. But just tell them about the reality of Jesus in your life. Ask them questions. How are you doing spiritually? People love to talk about themselves. Philip went then and explained from the scriptures all about Jesus. And that, that brings up the point. Can we do that? Can you do that? Could you tell somebody about Christ? Could you give them... I'm not even saying necessarily chapter and verse. I don't think Philip went, well, in Isaiah 4.27, guess what? There was no Isaiah 4.27. It wasn't written like that back then. But he could say, this is what God has revealed. This is the scripture. The scriptures say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done, and this is why I need him to be my Savior and my Lord, and why you need him as your Savior and Lord. Can you do that? If you can't do that with someone, if this is an area that you think you need to get better at, we're going to be in one of our Wednesday night classes coming up in the very near future, having a class, we're making a change in our faith path classes to our, the, third, the third block, the third, third stepping stone of year one, and we're adding a class on personal evangelism. How do you share your story? Another thing you could do is, you say, I need to bone up on this. Last year I had, I provided for every person in the church the book, How to Become a Contagious Christian in May for our missions convention, and we read it systematically, and every week we broke it into sections and we talked about it, introducing our sermons. Every single week we did that. That's a great book. You, you, could, you could do that. Something else you can do. Our next we have, a, we have a, a monthly prayer, Portview Prayer, second Saturday of every month, almost always second Saturday. And a bunch of you were here for this last one, probably 
60 of you were here. We prayed. We used the Lord's Prayer as an outline. This next one, what we're going to be doing, is we're going to be praying for friends and family members who primarily, primarily need Jesus, but also, so they need Jesus, but maybe they need healing or something. But primarily we're saying people who are lost. And here's what we're asking you to do for that. That you will provide us with pictures of those people. It's pictures and a name. I don't say anything else. And we're going to cover this sanctuary with pictures. If none of you participate because it's not important about it, about it, then we'll have just mine and Suzanne's pictures on the wall of who we're going to pray for. You're going to, but I want you to go snoop it on Facebook and get Aunt, Aunt Tilly's picture because you've been praying for her. I'm going to print them off. You're going to print the pictures off. You're going to get them to us and we're going to put them on the wall and you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, you're going to, Somehow you're going to get us information and we'll, you're going to get us a picture or a digital copy and we'll print it off. And we're going to put them on the walls and we're going to spend that hour of prayer praying for lost people that are in your life. Those are the things that we can do. Those are the kind of things that Philip did. So we start, be willing to listen to the voice of God, start a conversation, be a person of prayer, and one more thing. I think this is maybe the most important. Or maybe none of them is most important. They're all necessary. Be willing to be inconvenienced. Philip put everything aside to speak to a total stranger that the Spirit had led him to speak to. It was completely inconvenienced. Who knows? Maybe he was in the middle of a soccer game. I don't know. What did they do back then? This just might be the most important part because it goes back to heart. That's why Pete is a heart. We will be willing to be inconvenienced in order to lead someone else to Jesus if we have the heart of Jesus for people. Think about it like this. Wasn't Jesus inconvenienced in order to give his life for our salvation? Think about the ultimate inconvenience ever in the history of humanity. Jesus willingly being tortured and crucified, the most agonizing of all deaths, the ultimate inconvenience he suffered in order to set mankind free. Scripture says why he did it. It tells us why he did it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy set before him, he had that ultimate inconvenience. What was the joy set before him? The joy of seeing people rescued from damnation. That's the joy that was set before him. His joy is seeing people rescued from sin and bondage. So he endured the cross, the ultimate inconvenience. Jesus' heart is love toward lost people, so no inconvenience was too much for Jesus. That's why it matters how our heart is doing. If our heart is becoming like Jesus, we will love what he loves and do what he does. That's what that's about. Loving what he loves, our heart, and then doing what he does, the big five. Church, imagine with me what can be. We on purpose, Portview, don't worry about anybody else outside of here. We on purpose... Knowing the cost, inconvenience, time, risk, 
We choose to partner with the Holy Spirit in seeking and saving the lost. So we orientate our lives in such a way that we are listening every day for the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to us that just maybe He's going to tell me to talk to a person or call someone or buy someone a cup of coffee, all those things to line up with Him. And then we get the privilege of being used by Him to tell someone about Jesus and imagine when they come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Imagine how you will feel when the person sitting next to you in church gives their life to Jesus and you see them set free and you see them growing and developing and you see them becoming this blossoming person for Jesus because they invited Jesus in their life. Imagine not only how their life be changed, but imagine how you will be fulfilled in ways that you could never be fulfilled in any other way. Friends, that's what that's all about. So today, let's, as we close, let's close in this way by yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. So we will be compelled to join with Jesus in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. That we are building up our right arm. We do an evaluation that says we're kind of weak. Now I want to engage. I, want to, I, want to, I can't go to the why, but I can do what we just talked about. And that will build up our right arm. Because remember, my right arm is only as strong as your right arm. Because together we are the church. So, what I want us to do as we close, to take a few minutes as the worship team comes or Suzanne comes, whoever is closing. And we're just going to, I'm going to challenge you just for a few minutes, just to sit with the Lord for a few minutes. And ask Him to bring to your mind those people, maybe it's one person, maybe it's three people, that are in your sphere of influence, that He's laying on your heart, that don't yet know Jesus. Kids, spouses, relatives, friends, co-workers. Maybe what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to kneel at your chair. Maybe you're going to come here and kneel at the altar. Maybe you're just going to stay sitting where you are. You're going to spend a few minutes. And I'd say this, if the Lord brings to your heart, take that piece of paper, turn it over that I gave you, and write those names on there. Those are names that you're going to, bring, you're going to supply their picture. So we're going to pray for them the second, second Saturday night of, of February. Those are the ones you're going to pray for. As we're praying then, the worship team's playing. When you then feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, I release Him into your mission field. Go with God. Go with hearts of excitement saying, what's God going to do with me today, this week? What co-worker is He going to give me an opportunity to share with? Because my eyes are now going to be open. What neighbor is He going to talk about? What relative am I going to get a chance to share with? Because I'm saying, I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'm willing to be like Philip. Maybe you need to take this week and, and take Acts 8 and read that story over every morning this, this coming week. And see, this is normal Christianity. Living like that. That's normal Christianity. A lot of times what we pass for normal Christianity, I think, isn't even Christianity at all. It's just empty, dull religion. God wants us to have excitement and see miracles. 
So I'll close in prayer and then I invite you to just take a few moments. Ask the Lord to lay those people on your heart and just spend some time praying for some of those people in your world who don't yet know Jesus. So Father, we're, we're doing our best. I know you believe that. I really do. And Lord, this topic that we've spent the most time on today talking about this idea of reaching people who don't know you yet, we understand this, Lord. It's not something that we can will to happen. It's not something that I can just try harder at, meaning I can force somebody. It takes a lot of time. But Lord, we see from your scriptures as a part that we play, and that part is absolutely vital. It's us being sensitive to you. It's us being willing to follow your lead. It's us being willing to be inconvenienced. It's us putting other people ahead of ourselves like Jesus did for the joy set before him. Lord, I pray this. Breathe a sense of anticipation of joy into our hearts. Lord, there's some people in here and they're brokenhearted because they've been praying and praying and praying for, for a whole bunch of people, maybe a particular person they've been praying for. And they're just not seeing it happen. Lord, encourage their souls today. And let them keep praying for that one, but also raise up some people in their mind that are fruit that's more ready to be harvested. Lord, now we, we sit with you just for a few moments. Pray that you would just lay in our heart those people that you want to use us 